Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Throughout his career in the Senate, during the 2020 campaign, and now as president, Joe Biden has portrayed himself as a faithful Catholic. In fact, his administration, particularly his press secretary, takes great pains to make this point. Yet a review of his record on abortion during the first 100 plus days in office reveals a very different reality. This is part two of my conversation with Tom Shakley, Chief Engagement Officer at Americans United for Life. In part one, Tom and I discussed Joe Biden's record on life issues, as well as the pro-abortion records of senior members of his administration. In this interview, Tom and I explore how through executive order, policy, and legislation, Joe Biden has used his presidency to both promote and expand abortion. So Tom, we talked about the statement that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris put out concerning abortion, concerning uh, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, just two days into their administration. A few days later, on January 28th of 2021, Joe Biden signed an executive order titled, quote, Memorandum on Protecting Women's Health at Home and Abroad, unquote. Now, there are a number of different levels to this uh, executive order, but the centerpiece and the one I'd like to talk about first was the rescinding of what's commonly known as the Mexico City policy. Now, in our previous interview, you, you mentioned this briefly, but I'm wondering, can you tell us what this Mexico City policy is and what did the Biden administration do to it through this executive order? Yeah. So the Mexico City policy works hand in hand, right, with the Hyde Amendment, which we also spoke about. The Mexico City policy is one of the cornerstones of of pro-life protections, and it ensures that no U.S. taxpayer money will be involved with, implicated with, will make possible the funding of abortions uh, internationally. Uh, that you know, sort of the the disorder of U.S. abortion culture will not be um, disfiguring to uh, our international friends. Yeah. Tom, I screwed that. up. I got I got to correct myself. I said that you had mentioned the Mexico City policy earlier. Actually, you had mentioned the Hyde Amendment. I, my bad. I screwed up. Oh no, up. that's all good. All good. So I just want our, our listeners to know that I messed that one up, not Tom. So. <laughs> well, I think uh, you know. Again, they're both important, and uh, and they they do work hand in hand because they're both they're both um, responses to what happened with Roe, and they're mm-hmm. responses from the executive branch uh, and the congressional branch uh, of our government. So you know, and that's and that's what this is all about: is saying how do we respond appropriately? You know, it's it's the Mexico City policy uh, has been uh, important for our international uh, neighbors, particularly in pro life countries. Um, because it's a it's a way that uh, they've seen. Okay, our our ally in the United States is not going to force us to do as they do. They're not going to, for instance, um, you know, uh, withhold, say, grant money or or other forms of aid um, with you know the the necessary requirement that we change our culture, that we change our way of life uh, in order to do it. Um, and so the Mexico City policy has been key. Uh, of course, uh, this is one of those things that gets pushed back and forth between pro-life and pro-abortion presidential administrations. Um, you know, President Biden is not a fan of the Mexico City policy, uh, you know, and so it's, uh, you know, reversed at the first chance. Um, and that means that American taxpayer dollars under this administration are going to be involved and going to fund the ending of innocent preborn children's lives. 
Um, it's going to have an impact on our neighbors. It's going to raise um, frustrations and hostilities from pro-life countries that are facing serious threat from American-funded NGOs in their own countries, from interference at the United Nations and elsewhere, trying to do exactly that, trying to warp and change their cultures. Basically, you know, um, based on the idea that we know better. And, and why do we know better? Frankly, just because we have money. We're, we're allowing wealth um, to push the idea that uh, we have a moral uh, insight that other countries don't have on this issue. Uh, it's wrong. You know, uh, there's a great uh, London-based um, Nigerian pro-life activist, Obianuju, uh, who speaks about this. She calls it, uh, you know, philanthropic racism. Yeah. There's no question that's what it is. She, you know, she also calls it ideological colonialism. Yep. Um, and and it is exactly that. Uh, it's it's incredibly nefarious. And I think the proper response to it, by the way, is not to get angry necessarily. It's to it's to laugh uh, at those who push it. I mean, because it is it is so clearly a redux of you know century old um, basically racist and ideological views. It's not our responsibility as Americans to tell our friends or, or others internationally how to live. It's our responsibility to live well ourselves. Uh, and we don't have our house in order in that respect. So it's, it's hard to imagine that we have the right to, uh, to lecture others on that, that account. Yeah. And just as a, a little bit of historical context, so the, the medical, Mexico City policy was um, started by Ronald Reagan, I believe, back in the 1980s. And Presidents uh, George W. Bush and Donald Trump upheld the Mexico City policy, but Presidents Clinton and Obama rescinded it, and, and now uh, now has Biden. So, you know, it, it, it lets you know what the priorities are of of the political parties, really. And this is an area, by the way, where we really need, you know, we need resolution. These things can't just be, you know, sort of a, a football punted back and forth, right? We, we've got to have resolution, ideally from Congress. Right. So this is where, you know, even on something like the Hyde Amendment, the Hyde Amendment, you know, is a, is a rider to funding bills. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's not, a, the Hyde Amendment is not like a constitutional amendment, right? Right. Uh, and the same with the Mexico City policy. It's a good policy. And it's great when when a good pro life president um, you know brings it back, but Congress has a responsibility to definitively resolve these issues. And so long as they remain unresolved, there's not going to be momentum to resolve them because people will just assume that's the best we can get. I think that was one of the biggest missed opportunities of the past four years under President Trump, and particularly um, when we had Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, that there was no interest in this in trying in calling a vote to say can we actually do this congressionally to remove right. it from uh this sort of flurry of executive order style um executive fiat governance um we need congress to be active on these issues we need congress to be congress uh, and we need to encourage them uh, not berate them but encourage them uh, to do what they're there for um you know folks who've been there for a long time uh, and folks who are are brand new um, we need to help encourage them they need more courage yeah and we're going to see the uh, flurry of executive orders or executive fiat when we get to uh, funding for research a little bit as well too so it's, it's just right. not this issue of, of of foreign aid and everything else all right so as um, the second thing on this executive order so as um, Joe Biden signed this executive order on, on January 28th. In addition to rescinding the Mexico City policy, he also instructed um, the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Health and Human Services to withdraw U.S. co-sponsorship and signature of something called the Geneva Consensus Declaration. 
Tom, what was this declaration that the Biden administration removed us from? Right. So the Geneva Consensus Declaration, it was an agreement in partnership with many of our allies in Latin America specifically. The Geneva Consensus affirmed uh, very clearly that there is no international right to abortion. This is coming in response, uh, among other things, to you know International Planned Parenthood Federation trying to promote the idea that there is, as we spoke about, trying to enforce this from the top down uh, through our global institutions. The effort on the Geneva Consensus Declaration was uh, led by our friends in Latin America. It was signed onto by the Trump administration. It was important um, because we hear often uh, the lie, frankly, that every other nation in the world has sort of like unlimited abortion policies, which is completely wrong. Uh, right. It's the United States. It's it's America that has actually some of the worst, some of the most extreme abortion laws, while most nations, especially almost every nation in Latin America uh, is, uh, if not uh, comprehensively, if not holistically, at least much more protective, both of mothers uh, and children. And so, you know, the Geneva Consensus, I think, was a great, great achievement. Uh, it's a roadblock for this idea that there is an international consensus on abortion. Uh, and, you know, for, for folks who are interested in that, there's a great scholar, uh, William Saunders, uh, at the Catholic University of America. Bill Saunders has been a great pro-life advocate, a great human rights advocate and scholar for so many years. Uh, and he's done work in Latin America uh, and in Africa. Um, but, you know, particularly uh, in Latin America, he shows in, in one of his recent books as well uh, how the, the threat of this, this idea that abortion could be sort of established by custom, not by treaty between nations, um, but by custom. It's just sort of, well, if it's happening enough, then I guess there's sort of a de facto right to it, right, is the idea. And so things like the Geneva Consensus um, very clearly say, no, uh, we are not we are not the. Um, willing objects of this ideological colonialism. We have a way of life. We, we view the human person as having a fundamental dignity, and we're not going to promote the notion, the false notion, uh, that uh, any form of violence or self-harm against either women um, who are pressured uh, to choose abortion for whatever reason, uh, or least of all their children, um, totally innocent, need this, uh, deserve this, should be subjected to it. Um, because we know, by the way, like who who benefits the most from legal abortion culture uh, are, you know, people like human traffickers, people like, you know, pimps uh, who live action exposed so many years ago, uh, who can call up a Planned Parenthood and in states and jurisdictions where there aren't protections, they don't have to disclose who they are, the age of the person uh, asking for the abortion, anything like this. And it's it's a dream for human traffickers because it means that they are not subject to yeah. law. Uh, they're not going to be exposed. There's no investigation to be opened up. Um, these are not private matters. Um, you know, the, everything concerning um, sex and family and procreation are, you know, inherently public matters. Um, they're private acts, but they have public implications because we live in a community. We live in a society. Uh, and so the Geneva Consensus is such a great achievement because it helps promote all of these ideas at once. It enforces the, you know, it forces the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned um, the, the quote about there's no international right to abortion. I, I really love another section of that where it says, quote, the inherent dignity and worth of, you know, it, it identifies the inherent dignity and worth of the human person. And it says that every human being has the inherent right to life. And 
you know, to, to hear our, our president, our, you know, our devoutly Catholic president, uh, just remove, yeah, just, just remove, um, the United States from this declaration. It's just, you know, it just boggles the mind sometimes. Anyway, that being said, um, the third thing on this January 28th executive order, if it wasn't bad enough, it, it gets worse. Uh, so also in this uh, executive order, Joe Biden instructed the Department of Health and Human Services to quote unquote review the Trump administration's March 2019 rule that prevented Title X family planning funds from going to Planned Parenthood or other organizations that refer women for abortion. Tom, what happened as the result of this review that Biden called for in this executive order? Well, you know, you can guess really, right? Like who, who's doing the review? <laughs> you know? So, you know, folks like our, our friends, uh, Javier Becerra, you know, they're, they're the ones doing the review. And so the, the short answer is that as a result of this, the, the federal government, you know, the United States is now back in the business of funding abortion giants like Planned Parenthood. Uh, American taxpayer dollars are filling Planned Parenthood's coffers. Uh, and you know, American taxpayers, they want to finance real health care. This is why health care has been a debate since long before the Affordable Care Act. Um, there's not an interest in funding the abortion. This again, this violence and neglect uh, that, that it perpetuates. Um, there's a reason that that people are always so hesitant about it. There's a reason it's a hot button political issue. You know, people bemoan these things sometimes because they say, oh, they're so divisive. And it says, well, why is it divisive? You know, all the fundamental things are divisive because they force a choice. You know, you think slavery wasn't divisive? That was the whole problem with slavery for the longest time is that people were asleep on it and you needed people like William Wilberforce uh, or even Abraham Lincoln in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, right, to draw this out, um, you know, to draw out the contradictions and the distinctions and force a conversation and so, you know, the, uh, the, the review, uh, uh, the HHS review, you know, is, is not a surprise on the Title 10 issue in particular, um, because we know that the, the um, elites in charge of our federal bureaucracy uh, presently uh, have an interest in doing this. They're going to do it. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, one of the lessons we learned from the Trump uh, administration as well is that uh, we need uh, a stronger pipeline. Uh, we need a stronger, um, you know, community of folks who are able to staff these agencies so that when a pro-life president comes into power, um, that they're able to govern them effectively. You know, an example of this is, um, of, of, a, of the failing of this is the, um, coronavirus relief aid, um, particularly the, um, you know, PPP loans, the, uh, paycheck protection mm -hmm. program, uh, the, and then small business administration loans and other things. Planned Parenthood was properly excluded from receiving these and abortion businesses were excluded from receiving these. It turned out that many affiliates applied for them anyway. Now, I don't know. I don't know what their legal argument is. I presumably if they were called into court, they could say, oh, well, we, yeah, we didn't know. Who knew? Who knew we were excluded? You know, we just we did it in good faith. We didn't know. Um, but you know, whatever their argument is, uh, the fact is they received upwards of 80 million, uh, in funds that they were not eligible to receive according to the law, illegal, uh, aid was received by abortion businesses. And what happened as a result of this? Was there any enforcement? No. Uh, you know, there were headlines, people sort of looked at it, you know, pro-life people said, oh gosh, isn't that terrible? Uh, I was one of them. But of course, then I'm scratching my head saying, how is it that under, uh, you know, this was still under President Trump's administration, there was no enforcement of this. 
And so, you know, if, if that's going to be the result of pro-life Congress or a pro-life presidential administration, I mean, what good is it? And so, you know, it's, it's an incredibly important lesson that we need a greater pipeline. There's a great group in DC that was founded uh, a couple months ago, a very, very new organization called American Moment. And, you know, their mission, they're trying to step into this space to say, who are going to be the young people? Are there, are we cultivating, you know, uh, people coming out of college or mid-career professionals so that they're equipped, that they're ready to be appointed to these agencies, uh, to help, um, you know, do good things on the pro-life cause and on the host of other issues. So good, good work is happening. I don't mean to only, only share the bad news by any means. All right, so let's uh, let's shift from executive fiat to actual legislation and policy. So, Tom, we've we've talked about the Hyde Amendment. Um, so, just you know, give us a little bit of a background, a little more of a background on that. So, what's a Hyde Amendment, and what did Joe Biden's and really the Congressional Democrats' American Rescue Plan, which is otherwise known as the the latest COVID nineteen relief bill, what did that bill do to Hyde? Yeah. So the Hyde Amendment, um, you know, we mentioned uh, previously that uh, America's Center for Life put out a, a podcast episode on life, liberty and law with Congressman Henry Hyde. He spoke uh, at a, a an event that, that we did back in the 90s. And, you know, Henry Hyde was the man behind the Hyde Amendment. He was a pro-life lawmaker in the House who was deeply concerned about Roe and what it did uh, to American culture um, and, and kind of where it left us in the sense of basically abandoning, um, mothers to feel like they could be pressured into this, um, into making, you know, the only choice. And when there's only one choice, uh, you know, it's, it's not an actual choice, is it? Right. And so Hyde, you know, Hyde was a compromise. It was a legislative compromise to say, look, the judiciary has imposed this, this culture, this regime on the American people of abortion, but Congress can step in at least to agree, and it was bipartisan, Hyde Amendment, you know, until the past, you know, 24 months has been a, you know, uniformly bipartisan thing for decades um, that has said, you know, that the the Hyde Amendment will ensure that no American would be implicated in the tragedy of abortion via taxpayer funding. So that basically the federal government is not going to allow taxpayer dollars to support abortion. Um, it's, it's incredibly important. It's a, it's been a sign of, of hope. It's been a sign of bipartisanship of rising above division. Um, and, uh, and of course now it's, it's at risk. The, uh, the COVID relief package that you mentioned was the first, uh, bill, federal funding bill in decades, uh, that was passed that didn't have Hyde amendment protections, um, because there weren't the votes. I mean, that's the simple reality of it. And it's the tragic reality of it. Democrats for Life of America, a great organization, uh, rallying pro-life Democrats that do still exist. Uh, you know, they do. This. They do. You know, they do. You know, that was actually a great lesson of the uh, the recent June Medical Services case out of Louisiana. You know, you have a great pro-life Democratic governor in John Bell Edwards, and you have uh, great lawmakers like uh, Katrina Jackson, mm-hmm. um, who you know are proud pro-life Democrats, uh, and and many of them Catholic as well. So. Unfortunately, um, anyway, they're not in the Congress, though. They're not in the Congress. They're not in the Congress right now. But uh, you know, the, uh, the the reality is that uh, that all these voices uh, are speaking out, including Democrats for Life of America, saying, you know, we need we need Hyde. Uh, we need at least this last shred of of, uh, of bipartisanship. Um, right now, we don't have it, and until things change, uh, hopefully, in terms of the votes for Congress in the next um, in the twenty twenty two midterms. 
um, it's going to continue to be at risk. Uh, it's, it's a serious, serious threat. It's a breakdown of, of sort of the, the limited areas of detente we had in the abortion fight legislatively. And it's, it's, uh, it doesn't augur well, uh, in terms of how things get resolved. Yeah. So just, uh, as a point of clarity for our audience, the, the American rescue plan, the latest COVID-19 relief bill allows federal funding for abortion. That's correct. Yeah, there's no there's no prohibition. There's no hide uh, protection uh, against that occurring. So, um, yeah, it's the unfortunate reality. That's where we are. All right. In our previous interview, you mentioned the issue of chemical abortion. Tom, how has the Food and Drug Administration under the Biden administration linked coronavirus with chemical abortion? You know, it's funny. You wouldn't think those two things go together, but uh, that's, you know, when, when you're a fan of abortion, abortion politics, everything goes together. Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what day of the week, what the weather's like, what the subject is, you know, they want to talk about abortion. So it's kind of like the, the worst person to have at your dinner party. But, uh, you know, the, the FDA uh, under, under President Biden has looked at this and said, you know, and this is, of course, with tremendous um, pressure from um, groups like uh, Planned Parenthood and, and NARAL and others who who want this and have wanted it for a long time, they've said, well, we can use um, coronavirus, this threat of pandemic, as so many have, to change the culture. Uh, and they want to do that by saying that the the uh, the things that we've learned from the coronavirus, right, that all the things that we can do, you know, differently, uh, they say the FDA can approve the, the um, prescribing of chemical abortion pills. These are pills that end human life by, by starving the, the baby in utero of, of vital nutrition, killing the child in this way, and then expelling it, um, which have tremendous complications. There's tremendous risk to the mother, um, which frankly is not disclosed. You know, there's, there's informed consent problems with this all across the board. But they, they want to use the coronavirus to get the FDA to approve abortion pills, chemical abortion pills, uh, medication abortion, whatever you call it. They want to approve it by mail because they, they look at this like any capitalist would, I guess. And they say, we can expand, we can create new markets. You know, I mean, you look at, at uh, if you are in the headquarters of any of these abortion giants, what has been one of the biggest thorns in your paw for decades now? Well, it's the witness of, of pro-life Americans outside of abortion businesses. It's groups like 40 Days for Life. Uh, it's, it's the average you know, mother and father, man and woman, grandmother, grandfather, what have you, in towns and cities across America who stand up and go and want to offer resources to women who feel like they only have one option, who feel like they have no choice and they're going to get an abortion. And they realize that if they can just mail abortion pills, putting women at risk in doing so, forcing them to, to go to the ER at best, if they start bleeding, if they start hemorrhaging, if they have other problems, uh, then, you know, they solve two, two things at once. They, they don't have to worry about having physical businesses as much. Uh, they can expand abortion in that way. And uh, they deprive uh, the ability for uh, Americans of goodwill to witness in public on this and to offer people who feel like they have no choice a set of actual options. So it's a, it's a nefarious thing. And, uh, you know, the, the abortion by mail issue is one that's, that's uh, an international issue. Other countries are grappling with it. Um, but the, the important thing is, like, this is not aspirin, what we're talking about. This is a two-pill regimen 
that its its purpose is to kill. It's not curative. It doesn't cure any ailment. It doesn't heal. It does the opposite. It it introduces a threat, a risk. Um, and uh, just on that alone, it shouldn't be hard to understand why the FDA um, shouldn't be permitting this, shouldn't be expanding this. Yeah. And again, a little bit of clarification on this. So, um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. So the way this works is a woman will essentially have a telemedicine visit, kind of like we're looking at each other over um, That's right. over the internet right now. And based on the conversation that the doctor has with the woman, the doctor then uh, issues, issues a prescription and the woman could either get it at a pharmacy or the pills are mailed to them, correct? Exactly, Right. Now, the question I have is, as I understand it, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, the Food and Drug Administration has lifted or is allowing this to happen during the coronavirus pandemic. Does that mean that when the pandemic ends, whatever that means, we're going to go back or are, is the food? There's is no it, going back. Right. So th- th- that's the thing. So this, this, is, a, this is a means to, to essentially get a chemical abortion into telemedicine. Precisely. That's yeah. exactly right. And, and the, the, the thing about that too is, you know, imagine uh, telemedicine for something like, uh, like, like, first of all, in a situation of there being a real ailment, right? Imagine a telemedicine visit with your dentist and you say, you know, hey doc, you know, I've got a, I've got a toothache. And the doctor says, oh, well, tell me about it. And you kind of describe, you know, oh, there, there's these shooting pains and sometimes you know, I have some trouble eating certain foods. And the doctor says, well, you know, it sounds like it could be a simple cavity, or, you know, could be something needing a root canal. Maybe you need a full tooth extraction. Who knows? Uh, I'm going to mail you some tools. I'm going to mail you some Novocaine. Good luck. And if you have any problems, you know, just remember 911, right? That would be absurd. That's clearly an area where like telemedicine ain't going to cut it. Um, those same sorts of risks uh, of, of bleeding, of even fatality exist for abortion by mail. You can't even on a, on a basic level as a physician, you can't even ascertain how old the gestational age of the child is that you're seeking to kill. You don't know, you know, you're, you're taking that based on, on hearsay, on speculation from your patient. You're not doing an ultrasound. If one is required, you're not, you're not physically checking a patient. What sort of standard of care is that from a physician standpoint? This is not a physician acting as a physician. It's, it's a physician being called to act as a, as a peddler, of, of a deadly, um, you know, um, material. Uh, and that's something that like, that's the most foundational thing. The law exists to protect people from when we talk comes to patient or consumer advocacy. Right. Yeah. And just to, to show the, the other side of the coin, uh, cause as you were talking, I was, I was remembering something that happened here in your home state of Pennsylvania, Tom, and now I'm living in Pennsylvania, <laughs> but, uh, governor Tom Wolf, I believe it was last year, a bill was passed by the state legislature to expand telemedicine in the state of Pennsylvania in response to coronavirus, among other things. Good bill. However, um, the the bill had in it uh, specific language which excluded uh, using telemedicine for chemical abortion. And Tom Wolf vetoed the bill because of that. You know, so it's it's just, you know, here you have a pro-abortion Democratic governor who is given a good bill, something that's going to be helpful for people, something that is good for well, good for the society as a whole, and he vetoes it because they can't expand chemical abortion through it. It just, you know, again, it boggles the mind. Even though it shouldn't, it still does. That's right. Yeah, we need we need a radically different witness. We need a counter witness to these ideas. 
there's no, you know, when it comes to that perspective, um, that level of extremism, there, there's no, you know, centrism is not going to cut it. You know, sort of compromise, you know, with an extreme position still leads to an extreme outcome, right? Yeah. We need a radically different witness uh, on these issues. And, and we need to learn uh, as pro-lifers on the state level, as well as on the federal level, um, how to how to simply say no to what should be said no to. And yes, a loud, resounding, positive, hopeful yes to the things that we need to implement. Amen, brother. All right. I've got one more a uh, piece of legislation or policy that I'd like to ask you about, and then I'll kind of open the floor to you. Uh, Tom, during the uh, Trump administration, restrictions were established regarding taxpayer funding of research that uses the bodies of aborted children. Can you tell us briefly, what were these restrictions and what has the Biden administration done to them? Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned in our previous conversation, the important journalistic work of David Daleiden. Yep. Um, you know, he's one of, of many doing good work on the pro-life issue and, and in terms of journalistic exposés. But, you know, the, the reality is that um, those who are involved with abortion culture, the abortion businesses have been for a long time taking um, what they call human fetal remains. So right. these are the human corpses. These are the, the products, quote unquote, of abortion which should tell you everything you need to know about abortion uh, itself. Um, but they're taking these human remains and they're essentially selling the materials to researchers, uh, people who want to get it. Now you think like, I think immediately of, you know, sort of like uh, Bram Stoker or, you know, like, the, you know, these old like 19th century things of like somebody going and, and digging up graves for their scientific experiment. Right. And suddenly you've got, um, you know, like Frankenstein's got his monster. Right. Um, so it's just really gruesome, gruesome stuff, uh, to the point where like what David Daleiden exposed is people involved in this business have become so callous to it. Uh, and, and again, from a, from a humane standpoint, you have to recognize in all but very rare cases, people don't start out callous about this stuff, partaking in such a disordered activity in choosing a disordered career it further disorders us. Right. Uh, and so it's like that sense, like you can't, you know, if, if you go and you say, you know, well, I'm going to get a job as a bouncer at a strip club, you know, that's not a good job. That's going to disorder you. Even if you are presently more or less ordered properly. Right. Uh, the fact that you'd consider that kind of job would raise questions, but you know, if you need to take it, it's, it's a great risk that you're putting yourself in. It's, it's, you know, as a Catholic, we would understand it's a near occasion of sin, right? Uh, in a variety of ways. And so in the same way, you know, people who end up in these careers, you know, we need to reach out to them uh, and help pull them away. Abby Johnson is a great example of this, of somebody who uh, was an abortion practitioner and who left the industry, left the businesses uh, and has become a great pro-life witness, um, you know, and her organization. Uh, and then there were none is doing good work, trying to pull other people out. So these, these folks, I, I think generally didn't start out this way, but they become callous about the issue. And that's what David Daleiden exposed on film of them joking, joking, laughing over wine, uh, you know, at a fancy hotel restaurant lounge about how much they can sell a human heart for, how much they can sell human legs and arms for, how much they, how much the brain's worth at whatever gestational age a researcher might want it. Uh, these are the grim realities. These are the things that, um, you know, big tech and other platforms have deplatformed. It's things that judges have put under injunctions. They don't want uh, it to be talked about. I hope I'm not putting this podcast at risk. Maybe this episode will be disappeared someday. Mm -hmm. We'll see. 
But, uh, you know, these these uh, these practices uh, were restricted by the Trump administration. Um, you know, important work was done to say that, uh, you know, taxpayer funding um, you know, can't be involved with this sort of thing. And again, like so many other issues, uh, the Biden administration has sought to reverse this. Um, again, that's where you hear terms like uh, product of abortion. They don't even want to use the term human fetal remains because that's, you know, it's like people start thinking, well, like, what, what is a fetus? What is a human fetus? Well, a human fetus is a human being. <laughs> right. It's a member of the human family. Uh, and we're doing what to members of the human family? So it's, it's a, it's an area, you know, as you say, there's this whole spectrum of things. It's not just abortion. It's not just the abortion clinics, the Planned Parenthoods and what have you. It's, it's a whole dehumanizing spectrum. Um, once you introduce the logic, uh, of dehumanization that certain members of the human family aren't really full members they are sort of like at best estranged cousins, and maybe we can kill them. Um, you're going to have all sorts of problems. Suddenly it's going to say, well, maybe, you know, maybe Jeff over there has had some chronic health issues. Maybe we can help him kill himself. Uh, we'll call it compassion. Um, you know, look at what they did to Terry Schiavo. So it, it, it disorders us the minute we accept this logic and, uh, it, it's an area we need to continue to advocate and pray for. Yeah. And again, from a, just from a, a practical perspective, the, you know, the Trump administration, they, they halted research in national institution, national institute, sorry, of health NIH facilities, that used uh, aborted children, and they also had a um, a uh, an advisory board was established for uh, non uh, NIH facilities that used these um, you know used aborted children. In fact, our own uh, Father Tad Paholchik was a member of that advisory board. But um, just in April of this year, as you mentioned, the Biden administration basically changed that, and they said, you know, NIH, you know, go ahead, you can use, uh, you know, you can go ahead and, and purchase. You know the body parts from aborted children as they did before, and and basically just got rid of the of the ethics uh, advisory board. And so it's you know again it's it's our taxpayer dollars are are going to to fund this research using aborted children. And again, it's a as you said from earlier, it's this is done by executive fiat. There's no federal law or anything one way or the other. It, all of these things depend on who is sitting in the Oval Office and. Um, you know, and, and again, this is our, our Catholic president who is, who is doing this. That's right. Well, again, and you see, you see folks, uh, buy their fruits. And so that's, that's where, you know, we have to be, we have to be cautious, I think. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Tom, I've, I've asked you all of the things I wanted to ask you about, but are there any, any additional issues, uh, regarding Joe Biden and, and his administration that you want our listeners to know about? You know, I think the biggest thing is that, uh, as, as disappointing as the Biden administration has been already and will continue to be for for pro-lifers. It's incredibly important um, to remember that uh, most Americans are instinctively pro-life. Um, you see even Gallup polling um, from recent years. Just you know, you look at Gallup polling over the past ten years, and for the first time uh, in the history of these polls, you have uh, a fifty-plus percent majority of Americans identifying as pro-life. That's a huge, huge deal. Uh, and in some of these same polls, by the way, you know, they're asked a sub question, which is, and how many Americans do you think are pro-life? And, you know, folks who are pro-abortion dramatically overrate, uh, you know, what they think, you know, the, the percent of pro-abortion Americans are. Uh, so, you know, and that being, I think in the one poll, it was like 48% were, were identifying as pro-choice. And they said, but we think like 60% of people are pro-choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and the pro-life folks were asked when they had like a 51% majority, and how many th folks do you think are pro-life? And they're like, I don't know, 35% maybe. 
Uh, and it sh- so it showed, I think, as hopeful as it was, it showed how dramatically we underrate the the pro life instincts of Americans. Um, in that sense, how little we know one another. Um, and I think you know, in, in terms of Joe Biden and his administration. Uh, we're called in this time when we're shut out of the federal agencies, uh, when in general, very few good things are happening. There, there are some good things that will no doubt come from the, this administration, uh, probably not intentionally, um, but that we'll be, we'll be able to celebrate as wins for, for family policy and for other issues. Um, you know, I, I think there are some of the things as we're talking about, for instance, this is a bipartisan area, uh, you know, pro-natalism as it's described, uh, really just talking about American thriving, the birth rate problem that's been talked about. These things, if they are dealt with legislatively um, or from the executive branch, you know, it's it's good that we're thinking about what what constitutes the thriving of the American family. You know, we have these problems about defining even what a family is, is a family, a mother and a father with children. Um, is it sort of the very narrow, I think, technocratic idea that it's a nuclear family, it's a mother and father and only two children, uh, you know, or, or should it just be as many as God gives you? Um, so I think these things that are good that we're thinking about, talking about, Mitt Romney's proposed a bill, Mike Lee uh, and others have been involved in this conversation. The Biden administration has put out its own proposals. So there are things in this, um, just like with the Affordable Care Act, there are a lot of problems with it, but there were some good things uh, in it as well. It's it's not all one thing or another, as Lincoln said about uh, slavery and about the Civil War. Um, you know, and uh, and in that sense, we've got to take our wins where we can get them. All right. One last question for you, and then I'm going to ask you for your words of wisdom. Um, you could you could answer this question either as the chief engagement officer at Americans United for Life, or you could answer this question as Tom Shakley, faithful Catholic. Oh, I just sort of, I, I kind of gave away the question right there. <laughs> Tom, with regard to abortion, how does Americans United for Life or Tom Shakley respond to the claim that Joe Biden is a faithful Catholic? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned in our uh, initial conversation, Joe, you know, Americans United for Life is a, is a great uh, nonpartisan organization. We work to create uh, connections between people of all ages, backgrounds, and beliefs, and, and many of those people are Catholic. And so in this sense, the question is really relevant. So I'll speak, you know, personally, just as a, as a Catholic and as a human rights advocate. Um, you know, I think the, the question of, of what it means to be a faithful Catholic in the public square, you know, w- within, you know, the Catholic uh, community, it, it means fidelity to the teachings of the church and more precisely, it means fidelity to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I think uh, there's a great uh, saying from Flannery O'Connor, and, and she said, uh, the Catholic believes any voice he may hear uh, comes from the devil, unless it is in accordance with the teachings of the church. Uh, so I think that's one of those areas where, you know, we hear often, in other words, about um, conscience. And there are some, I think, who would want to baptize uh, conscience the idea that sort of, you know, whatever we hear in our interior life must be good, right? right? It must be of God. Which is not the Catholic understanding of conscience. Correct. Exactly. Right. You know, conscience is not, you know, it, it is, it is, you know, uh, an attentiveness to the, to the inner voice and to the interior life. Um, but it, it, it must be ordered. It must be formed. Right. Uh, and this is, I think what kind of Flannery is speaking to, um, you know, there's uh, there's another thing. I think this is this is most applicable to uh, our president, and and speaks powerfully. I think to to your point, Joe, that um, we need to not have our hearts hardened by the political environment we're in. Uh, we 
can't give in to polarization. We've got to rise above it. Um, we've got to remember that that Joe Biden is a human being uh, who, uh, on this issue, needs conversion. Uh, he needs courage, right? You know, these the, his actions on abortion are not the actions of of a man of conviction. That's the one I think good thing that can be said about all of them, as disappointing as they are on a human rights perspective. Joe Biden is not acting out of conviction. He doesn't really believe this stuff. He's doing it for reasons of expediency. Now, that's not to excuse, you know, the actions, um, but it, it, it speaks to, you know, the, the threat of, uh, of a sort of a rootless, um, you know, ex- expeditiousness uh, in the way we treat our lives and thinking, you know, well, we can just do or say whatever we need to do, uh, go along to get along and, you know, I'll show up at mass on Sunday and kind of hope for the best. Um, you know, I, I live in Washington, D.C., not far from the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a Byzantine style church in its architecture and, and in the dome, in the interior dome, um, is, is, you know, is Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of justice, right? And, and it's a, you know, in many sort of depictions of Christ, um, his, his more human side or his, his, um, sort of more merciful side is shown, uh, the Christ that's depicted in, in the, in the dome in Washington as as the as sort of the Christ of justice, this is a a fiery Jesus, right? The face you see, this is the this is the face of one who is um, is is righteously um, concerned with with our good, right? It's it's not the anger of a of a of a you know um, a vengeful father. It's the, it's the burning concern of someone who loves us, and uh, and I think this is important to show. Um, Joe Biden, it's important for us to keep in our own hearts that this is the response uh, to, to disorder. Uh, it's, it's a burning desire that, that we become ordered, uh, that we come back to it. I mean, that's, that's what um, was the whole point of you know, what Augustine talks about when he says that the branch has the same form that has been cut off from the vine, but what profit for it is the form if it does not live from the root, right? And so, you know, we, we look and may even act in many ways the same when we're living uh, in a state of sin, but we're not the same spiritually, right? We're cut off, uh, and so you know our, our appearance, in other words, can tell a false story, um, and, and we need to be uh, to make sure that, that that as branches we're connected to the root, and that's uh, that's what I think personally um, we need to hope for, we need to pray for for our president, um, but also for each of us because this is we're all living the spiritual life. Um, and, uh, and the threat is there for each of us that, uh, that we can, we can be a branch cut off that looks, looks the same, but isn't. Oh yeah. Well, you know, those are some good words of wisdom already, but, uh, <laughs> those are very good words of wisdom. Tom, um, as, as we conclude, what, uh, what additional final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Uh, you know, Joe, I mean, it's such a good, uh, good thing to be able to speak with you about these issues. I think, uh, you know, I've found, you know, folks are sometimes skeptical about the impact that can be had in Washington, D.C., especially in times like this. Oh, um, I'm skeptical. We, I absolutely. We, <laughs> well, we got to have you. We got to have you visit again. Then we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll set up some meetings. But uh, you know, there's so I'll much good that can be done. This is this is the time, in particular, when we organize for the future. Uh, and so, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, the importance of personnel. Um, you know, personnel are policy, is a saying, right? Uh, the people we hire uh, impact what gets done. 
uh, in other words. And so this is a time of tremendous uh, growth and opportunity for pro-lifers in the nation's capital as we figure out sort of what what went right and what went wrong. What were the, the misses uh, over the past few years? Um, what were the things that we should have done that we didn't get done? Um, those things are what put us in a place where, uh, with the next pro-life administration, when, uh, that occurs, we'll be better situated, uh, to make change. Um, and also, uh, as, as we continue to hope for the Supreme court to make positive impact. But I think, you know, it's, it's not just about Washington. I, I want to mention that only to the extent that we should be hopeful, uh, about what's happening here, because this is, um, you know, the locus of, of so much of our national life at the same time. You know, we need uh, heroic witness in our everyday lives, uh, in our communities. National politics isn't as important as we're all led to believe when we pull up on Facebook and Twitter and email, and hopefully we're not watching the national news anymore. I'm not. Uh, but, you know, it's like <laughs> Me the, neither. The, the politics of the home, our home, the politics of place, of our communities, of our neighbors, um, that's, that's the politics that matters. Um, you know, the, the heroism of the everyday, it's like, this is, uh, one of the, the great fruits of, of coming to Washington DC, Joe has been, um, you know, an encounter with, uh, the, the Opus Dei community and, and coming to know St. Jose Maria Escriva, uh, and, and also the, the way he and John Paul II, uh, both spoke about, you know, the, uh, universal call to holiness, right? This idea that, uh, we must sanctify the everyday, uh, that, that, uh, we're called to saintliness in this life. We're called to strive for this. And I think that's what, what it's all about. I mean, that's what the pro-life witness is all about. That's why people go out and witness in front of abortion businesses. It's why people make sure that within their families, right? We're doing that, I hope, right? We're making sure that, you know, if, if people like my mother come home and have to share that they're pregnant, that they're coming home from college and they're pregnant unexpectedly, they don't know what to do, that as parents, you know, it's not a question. Uh, it's not a question of supporting your daughter, supporting your grandchild, regardless of the situation, those are the ways that we make it real. That if, if, if our, you know, uh, mother or father or our spouse or another family member is ailing, that we can take them in, you know, asking questions like, uh, do we have homes that can accommodate that, you know, uh, so that they're not stuck in a facility where they're locked off because of pandemic restrictions or what have you. Um, we've got to build out our physical lives. That's one of the things I'm thinking about. Um, I don't think DC is going to be home for me forever. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's like, what is the architecture of, of, a, of a good and holy life? Uh, what is the architecture one that can support family and community? Those are things I'm thinking about. I don't know if those are words of wisdom, but I think they're things worth thinking about. Very good. Absolutely, they are. So, Tom, uh, tell us how listeners can find Americans United for Life and your podcast, Life, Liberty, and Law. Yeah. So, uh, Americans United for Life, our website is aul.org. It's and, pretty uh, easy. It's it's pretty easy. Yeah. Three letters, aul.org. And, uh, you know, you can find Life, Liberty, and Law on our website. You can also look it up on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the different podcast directories. Um, great episodes on there. You should start with the episode we did with Dr. Joe Zalot. That's a great episode. <laughs> I had uh, a lot of fun with that. I, I, I really did have a good time with that. It was good. It was in person before the pandemic. It was, yep. it was like the old times. So I'm looking forward to, to coming back to that. But, uh, yeah, thanks very much. And, you know, we're active on all the social media and, uh, you know, worth, worth signing up for our email newsletter and things. We, uh, unlike some groups, we send out emails judiciously and we don't overwhelm your inbox. I think that's a, a good thing the NCBC does as well. So uh, make sure you don't get flooded. Tom Shakely, thank you for joining me on Bioethics on Air. It's such a pleasure, Joe. Thanks for the work you're doing. And you too. 
For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on bioethics on air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our bioethics public policy report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcasts, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.